welcome to this episode of Drug Target Reviews Podcast, sponsored by Solistic. I'm your host, Taylor Mixides, editor of Drug Target Review. This episode is the third and final part of our series, Cell Talk, a comprehensive guide to next-gen cell therapy. In this episode, we'll be discussing genetic engineering for allogeneic immunotherapy. Bringing their expertise today, I'm thrilled to introduce Dr. Suzanne Snellenberg, Director of Genome Engineering at Solistic, and Dr. Matt Angel, CEO of Eterna Therapeutics. It'd be fantastic to hear about your backgrounds. So I'll pass over to you, Suzanne. Thank you very much. So yes, I'm currently the Director of Genome Engineering at Solistic. I've joined the company uh, a little bit over a year ago and have been working with the CRISPR genome editing for almost 10 years now. I've been applying that for generating cell lines, uh, not only iPSCs, but also cancer for uh, different cancer cell lines. Also applying the CRISPR tools for CRISPR screening. So yeah. Back to you. Brilliant. Thanks. And I'm passing over to you, Matt. Hi, I'm Matt Angel, the CEO of Eterna Therapeutics. I'm a scientist by training, and I spent the last decade and a half developing mRNA-based tools for expressing proteins in cells with an emphasis on cell reprogramming and gene editing proteins. I joined Eterna about a year and a half ago, and I'm very pleased to be a part of working to advance next-generation engineered cell therapies. Thanks, Matt. So moving away from cell therapies that treat cancer, this week we're taking a dive into genetic engineering, its role and relationship with allogeneic immunotherapy. Let's get into today's conversation by exploring what are the advantage of using iPSCs for immunotherapy development and how and why do iPSCs need to be engineered to make them suitable cell therapies? I'll pass over to Suzanne. Thank you. So to answer your first question regarding the advantages of using iPSC for immunotherapy development. So there are a couple of advantages uh, which basically include that iPSC, they provide a virtually unlimited source of cells for therapeutic application. In addition, they also offer a more consistent and controllable source of cells for therapy. And they also are more versatile in terms of types of cells that can be used. So one can imagine that if you have a primary cell, that's the only cell type you have at that point. Whereas with iPSCs, these can be differentiated into multiple different cell types. So how do iPSCs can to be engineered? There are different gene editing tools such as Talon, Sync Fingers, but also CRISPR. And what we can and why do we need to engineer them? Well, first of all, they need to carry specific modification tailoring the therapies for their specific needs, but it also decreases uh, the iPSC's potential to trigger any immune rejection in the recipients. In addition to that, it also allows to standardize the therapies to be readily available for urgent cases. And in addition to that, a very important one is that the controlled expansion of iPSCs leads to a uniform cell population, ensuring consistent and treatment quality. Thank you, Suzanne. And over to you, Matt. Yes, just to add a, a couple of additional advantages beyond those that Suzanne mentioned of iPSCs, they are clonal, so they can be expanded clonally, which means that when iPSCs are engineered using gene editing tools, it is on a clonal basis. And so the, the kinds of characterization that one can conduct are gives you much more information than you would find with donor-derived cells, where you might have a pooled population of cells that are edited and this is extremely important for something that I'm sure we'll be talking about today uh, when it comes to specificity of gene editing and off-target effects. In addition, there's a, another advantage to iPSCs that I think is particularly exciting, which is the fact that the epigenetic program of the cells has been not only reprogrammed to pluripotency, but also 
in a way rejuvenated to mimic that of an embryonic-like stem cell state with re-expression of telomerase reverse transcriptase and other things. So cells derived from iPSCs have a much greater expansion potential, a much longer time before the onset of senescence. And so the cells that are produced from iPSC-derived sources are in many ways uh, younger or rejuvenated. And this is, I think, really exciting for uh, therapies based on the cell type. In terms of ways to engineer them, uh, as Suzanne mentioned, there are a variety of gene editing tools that can be employed to edit these cells. Many of those tools were originally developed and brought to bear in the context of donor-derived cells. And so things like zinc finger nucleases, talons, uh, CRISPR-type systems, uh, designed to create defined edits at target loci in the genome of living cells uh, with high specificity and low off-target effects can all be used in an iPSC context. And as I mentioned earlier, what's so exciting is the kinds of characterization that can then be done at the iPSC level uh, can tell you with a very high degree of confidence exactly what editing has actually been performed. Right. Thanks, Matt. And we could also ask, why is this even more important when developing allogeneic cell therapies? I'll go over to you, Matt. In the context of allogeneic cell therapies, which by definition is involves the use of cells from someone other than the patient to treat a patient, one element that's critically important is ensuring that those cells, the therapeutic cells, can survive in the patient to generate a durable enough response. In some cases, a long-term engraftment is, is not needed, but in some applications it is desired. And so, and Suzanne touched on this earlier, there is a, a need for these cells to not be rejected by the patient's immune system. And gene editing can accomplish this by manipulating or controlling elements of the major histocompatibility complex and other elements of, of the cell's gene expression pattern to create immuno-non-reactive cells, sometimes referred to as stealth cells, that can evade detection by the patient's or the host's immune response to enable a more durable therapeutic effect. And Suzanne? I can't say it better than Matt. Uh, Matt explained it uh, in an excellent way. It is indeed that you want to reduce the risk of basically the graft versus host disease and result in reduced uh, immune rejection, enhanced safety and tolerability of allogeneic cell therapies. Absolutely. Well, thank you both. Moving on to exploring what are the risks of genetic engineering for CT development? How can we overcome them? And I'll start with Suzanne. So as Matt already mentioned previously, is that obviously there's the risk of off-target effects using the CRISPR technology. There might be unattended genetic changes at off-target sites that could potentially be harmful. What is also the advantage of the, well, ERISA medication, which Matt also mentioned, is that with the cell therapy and especially iPSCs, we can generate these monoclonally derived iPSCs. So we can specifically screen for those clones that have the desired genetic modifications without any unwanted off-target Target effects. Right. And Matt? Suzanne said it very well. Just to emphasize a big challenge with in vivo gene editing or the use of tools like CRISPRs, talons, and zinc fingers to achieve gene editing of cells in a patient is this risk of off target effects where there may be one cell that received a, an edit in a key tumor suppressor pathway gene and that cell then becomes cancerous. And 
the tools simply do not exist at this point to know with certainty that that is not going to happen or to prevent that from happening. And so using adoptive cell therapy techniques and especially clonally based techniques like iPSCs really overcomes this challenge by enabling the, the key step, the editing step to happen in a controlled environment outside of the patient's body where the cells can be characterized extensively enough to have confidence in the specificity of the editing and and that there were no off-target effects generated that could have a, an adverse safety impact. In fact, in the case of iPSCs that can be edited and then banked as a cell banked, there is the opportunity to do extensive in vivo testing, so animal testing of cells derived from those gene-edited iPSCs using standard and established tumorogenicity assays and other assays to know with an extremely high degree of confidence that the resulting therapeutic cells are going to be safe for the patient. Thanks both. Um, I wanted to pick up on one of the challenges from a safety perspective of traditional gene editing methods is their level of imprecision known as off-target effects. How can this be overcome, would you say, Suzanne? So uh, one of the mitigation is what we, which we just uh, discussed is the monoclonality. So isolate that one clone that doesn't have any of these off-target. In addition to that, there are different nucleases available right now for gene editing, some with reduced off-target effects, and those can then uh, be selected to generate your cell therapy. There are also newly developed, um, again, but this is, I think, more interesting for, for gene therapy purpose than cell therapy, but there are these anti-CRISPRs, for example, as well, that are tunable, again, reducing any off-target effects. And obviously, comprehensive screening and proper characterization of the cells you have generated. Great. Passing over to Matt. Yes, I would just add to that to say that some of the latest nucleases that have been developed are very exciting from the perspective of minimizing the potential for off-target effects, including nucleases with nickase functionality that do not create double-strand breaks, but only create single-strand breaks that can be combined with repair templates or small pieces of DNA that can then lead to the insertion of a stop codon, for example, to create an incredibly uh, controlled edit at the target site. So, I think you know all of the effort and work that has gone into nuclease development and gene editing system development over the last several years has resulted in latest generation systems that offer much more control over the type of editing and the result of editing and much less risk of off-target effects than some of the earlier generation systems. Wow, that is really um, exciting. Um, cell therapies, stem cell therapies, and what should I be thinking about when I hear that a therapy uses stem cells, would you say, Matt? Well, of course, there are many different kinds of stem cells, adult stem cells, embryonic stem cells, iPSCs, pluripotent, multipotent. So really, all a stem cell is, is a cell that can regenerate itself and also differentiate into tissue-specific cell types. But this, I think, is really going to play a major part in the future of many areas of medicine as we transition from an era of treating disease using small molecule and biologic approaches to the era of regenerative medicine, where we are replacing lost or damaged cells with stem cell-based therapies. I think what we've seen so far in 
the incredible success of adoptive cell therapies, and in particular, the autologous CAR-T cell therapies, is really just the tip of the iceberg. There will be more cell types that we're creating for therapeutic use, including in the immune cell system, regulatory T cells for applications in autoimmune disease that are already being explored for indications like type 1 diabetes, and then various other cell types that can address not only genetic diseases and autoimmune diseases and cancer, but also uh, diseases with a much larger patient populations like cardiac CNS indications uh, characterized by damage to or, or loss of cells. It's great to hear about the future. So it's really exciting. Uh, Suzanne? If we're talking about the use of stem cells for cell therapy uh, purposes, obviously the stem cells and the engineered stem cells are not the final product. They're basically an intermediate. These cells will then be used to differentiate into the specific cell types, the final drug product that will be used to treat patients. Uh, what is important that when you characterize this final drug product, you need to make sure that there are no residual stem cells present still in the final drug product. So this is a, a safety concern uh, that we should bear in mind and, and should properly screen for before it, it will be used. Thank you for covering that um, safety concern, absolutely. And just moving on, what is needed to make iPSC-based allogeneic immunotherapies a reality? And how long do you think it will be before this happens? I'll start with Suzanne. As mentioned, what is important is, is efficient differentiation methods. So for all the different cell types, uh, they all differentiate at different rates, at different times, uh, different efficiencies. Obviously, the, one of the subjects we covered earlier is the overcoming of the immune reduction, the established iPSC banks, and there's also a lot of that can be optimized with regards to uh, scalability, but also regulatory approval, as it's still a young field. I do have to say with regards to the timeline, I think it's a bit challenging to properly predict this precisely, but ongoing research and advancements in this technology suggest it could be realized within the next decade or so. Thank you. And Matt? Yes, I think that's right. And I just want to emphasize the importance of industry and academic partners working together with regulators to understand how to bring safe, effective therapies based on iPSCs to the market and to patients. This is a very new and very different kind of therapeutic, very different from small molecules or biologics. iPSC-based therapies are, in essence, a, a living drug. And you know, understanding the, the type of regulatory framework that is going to efficiently ensure the safety and effectiveness of therapies based on iPSCs is something that is is really critically needed because the field and the technologies are advancing very quickly and in, in many ways, I think, outpacing regulatory authorities' ability to comprehend how to think about and evaluate these kinds of next-generation products. Um, thank you both for sharing. So what happens when we do crack the genetic engineering for cell therapy case? I think what we'll see is therapies based on genetically engineered iPSCs that are treated in many ways like small molecule drugs in the sense that they will be off the shelf and available for patients as soon as they're diagnosed and as soon as it's determined that they need the therapy. They will have available a genetically engineered allogeneic cell therapy to address their indication. I think we will see 
therapies along these lines made available for high unmet medical needs for diseases and indications that currently have no good standard of care, no good way of, of treating the disease. And then, you know, for those indications, especially in the cancer arena where there there is a standard of care, I think we will see opportunities for therapies that can achieve results really unheard of and unthinkable with current standard of care, where instead of thinking about extending patient survival by a matter of months, we can, for the first time, start thinking about actually resolving completely the disease in these patients. Thanks, Matt. I think, yeah, resolving the disease completely is so important and it's so exciting that hopefully what the future can hold. Uh, Suzanne, just passing over to you. If we basically go and and discuss, like, crack the genetic engineering for cell therapy case, you know, as mentioned by Matt as well, but what I'm also expecting is, you know, every different treatment will require its own cell therapy. Obviously, we've got the different cell types. Each cell type I'm expecting will have obviously some overlapping specific gene edits, but there will be specific cell type specific gene edits, especially when we talk about the different cars, different affectability. These all need to be introduced. But if we have a sort of off-the-shelf starting point, that would massively reduce the time to produce these kind of cell therapies and reach the patient a lot, lot sooner than it is right now. Back over to Matt, what are the kind of maybe potential applications that you would highlight for this? I think initially what we're going to see is the application of iPSC and genetically engineered iPSC approaches to those areas that have seen success with adoptive cell therapy techniques, for example, in the the CAR-T space, uh, engineered immune cells to treat cancers. As Suzanne mentioned, there are very clear logistical and manufacturing advantages to using iPSCs, uh, which offer an unlimited and clonal cell source. Uh, So there's an opportunity to really uh, replace the current autologous and even allogeneic donor-derived cell sources in those kinds of applications. Then I think we'll see more advancement in other cell types generated from iPSCs beyond just uh, cytotoxic lymphocyte T cells and NK cells into cell types, including myeloid cells, such as macrophages, for applications in solid tumors, and then cells uh, beyond those of the the hematopoietic system for various other regenerative medicine applications. So it's a a very exciting future, I think, for iPSC-based allogeneic cell therapies with an opportunity to address and have a, a major impact on many areas of medicine. Yeah, absolutely. And totally agree. It's very exciting. And Suzanne, Wanted to pass over to you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Matt. It's a very exciting field to be in, as mentioned by Matt, like the regenerative medicine. It's but the applications of, of using gene edited iPSCs, the multiple non-cancer diseases such as autoimmune diseases that could benefit from genetically engineered iPSCs, infectious diseases, immune deficiency disorders, uh, neurological disorders. So there's a lot to discover, there's a lot of work to do, but it's an incredibly exciting field to be in right now. Yeah, and um as you said, there's a lot to discover and a lot for the future. So I guess kind of talking about the future, as we've just touched on, you know, what do you see for the future with this? Is there anything that you could highlight? 
So with regard to, to first to generate the, the focus on the CAR T cells, uh, the NK CARs, we're discovering more and more which gene edits, for example, are the most important ones to tackle. We're just getting more efficient in all the differentiation processes. So we're still discovering a lot, but every time we learn more and bringing it closer to the clinic. Thank you for sharing. It's really positive and, as we say, very exciting. And Matt, over to you. Yes, I think what excites me most about this field is obviously what we're talking about, genetic engineering, iPSCs, the system is very complex. You know, cells, of course, are an incredibly complicated system, but the complexity is finite. The tools that we're generating in nucleases, in ways of delivering them, in ways of manufacturing cell therapies, these tools are increasing in complexity at a very rapid pace. And before long, we're going to reach the point where the complexity of the tools that we have to genetically engineer these cells and create new cell therapies based on iPSCs approaches the complexity of the cells themselves. And that's a very exciting prospect from my perspective because it, it means that we will have a level of control over these cells and ultimately over the disease state in patients that has really been unthinkable to date. Uh, just to give one example, I think we've, we've talked a lot about and there's a lot of work being done on single cell type approaches where iPSCs are genetically engineered and then differentiated into T cells or NK cells or different kinds of cells. I think beyond that, there's an opportunity to generate a multi-cell type therapeutic approaches where iPSCs are differentiated into multiple cell types that can work together synergistically to start to recapitulate the functionality of not just individual cell types in a patient, but actually tissues and eventually organs and, and organ systems. So the future really is uh, unlimited for, for these technologies. Thanks, Matt. And thank you both for sharing. I think, as you've said, it's really promising and there's a lot of opportunities. I guess that's a wrap for this chat today. A huge thanks to Suzanne and Matt for taking part in this podcast and for diving into such a fascinating conversation. It's been an honour talking with you both. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into this Drug Target Review podcast sponsored by Solistic. I've been Taylor Mixties, editor of Drug Target Review.